Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are live at the top of the world, I call it, top of the world in Baltimore City. And we have a very, very special guest for you. I told you guys, I'm always gonna give you the best, the best in Baltimore. And you wanna see the best, we're gonna get the best. So we have a very exclusive interview coming up for you. The next voice you will hear is Mr. Alex Smith. I don't know if you've heard that name before in Baltimore, but if you're outside Baltimore, you'll learn today. The No Picks After Dark podcast is fueled by Seek's Coffee. Have you tried their coffee yet? I'm telling you, there's something different about it. Maybe it's because they roast their beans in a fluid coffee roaster, which provides the most accurate roasting temperatures and made with love. You will just have to check it out for yourself and try their delicious food while you're at it. Open now for curbside service, online ordering, carry out, and they also do wholesale. Visit Zeke's Coffee at 4719 Hartford Road. Open Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. And Sunday, 8 to 5 p.m. Kitchen closes at 3 p.m. Or visit Zeke'sCoffee.com and you too can be fueled by Zeke's. OpenWorks is Baltimore's largest makerspace, offering access to tools ranging from 3D printers to welders and training in how to use them. OpenWorks also offers affordable studio space, a coffee shop, and fun-free events throughout the year. But OpenWorks is more than a public workshop. It's a community of creative professionals, students, seniors, entrepreneurs, and makers of all kinds. Check out the website at www.openworksbmore.org or Instagram at open underscore works underscore bmore for class schedules, membership options, and more. Welcome to the No Picks After Dark podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Dante. Thank you guys for showing up today. Best of Baltimore three times, back to back to back. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you to all the readers, listeners. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you. Today we have a special guest, Mr. Alex Smith. How are you doing today? Hey, Aaron. How are you? Good, good. I'm glad we can make this happen. Thanks for having me. I'm glad we finally can make it happen. All right. So you're known in Baltimore. I have a lot of my listeners from Baltimore, D.C., Northern Virginia, Philly, D.C. I mean, everywhere. Just, those are my top spots. Tell people a little bit about you. You know, you are the CEO of Atlas Restaurants, correct? Yeah. Okay. Tell people what that is and who you are. Sure. We're a hospitality uh, group uh, based here in Baltimore, but we have some national locations. Um, it's my brother and I. We're business partners. Um, and uh, basically, I'm a hometown guy and uh, had a passion for, for food and beverage and the hospitality industry. And when I graduated college, I got into this. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I always ask people, you know, when you're growing up, what was your favorite childhood memory growing up? Everybody, like, well, for me, it was going to Memorial Stadium, seeing Eddie Murray. Going, Eddie, Eddie, I might be saying my age right now. Yeah. So, but that was my thing. What about you? I mean, look, uh, I remember going to those games as a kid with my dad, and it was, that was great, too. It was an awesome time. Uh, favorite childhood memory? Um, you know, probably just playing sports as a young guy, uh, throwing, the, throwing the ball in the backyard with my dad, uh, just hanging out with my family. Um, that, those are kind of my fondest memories of, of when you didn't have to worry about work and, uh, you know, building a company and all the responsibilities you have. And now I'm a dad, obviously, just like you. Right. Um, and so, you know, I, I was with my kids this weekend and they're starting to get to that age where you can throw the ball in the backyard. So just, I think, spending time with my mom and my dad in the backyard with my brothers hanging out. That, that's great. Family is yeah. really a lot to me. You know, I, my dad 
he had seven brothers and three sisters. So every Sunday we would have a family dinner somewhere right. growing up. And my aunts would make the homemade ice cream and be like, oh, we're brought and my uncles would pit masters. They would make anything. They get a whole pig yeah. and just smoke it all day and just cook it. And we would have fresh deer meat and just eating all those different type of foods. You're like, wow. That's what life's about right there. That's family time, you know. That's, that, it. that's what I really think about. So you, where did you go to high school? Because that's the thing. If you don't know, Baltimore's yeah. a big thing about high schools. I went to Boys Latin High School. Okay. Um, my brothers each went there. Grade school. Had, a, had an awesome experience there. Actually, Kiefer Mitchell was my 10th grade history teacher, <laughs> uh, who was a councilman here. And then I think he worked for Governor Hogan for a long time. But um, it's, you know, a good local school and, and played sports there. And I had a great experience there. So a little thing about Boys Latin. I was When I was living in Baltimore, because um, I had moved all over the place, this is how old I am. I remember the Spaceship Challenger crashing on that day when I was taking the entry exam test for there. Really? That's how long, that, that, that sticks out to me at Boys Latin, because I was on the McDonough swim team when I was younger. I was like real young and they had a swim program up there, so. I went to McDonough kindergarten through eighth grade, so wow. I, I spent a little time there too. Okay, Co so you know of it. Coach Ward, was he running the camp there? It <sighs> it's, been, it's been so long ago. A long time I'm ago. Old. Yeah. I'm old, I'm old, I'm like old like dust now, I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, because we, for me, I moved from Baltimore to Ohio, to Dallas, Texas, yeah. to upstate New York, and then to Jersey, and then back so to So you were all over. So yeah, so I'm all over, so that, that was a little bit about me. So. Let's talk about you. Like you, what sports you played? Are you a lacrosse guy? Yeah, I'm a lacrosse guy. Okay, were you good at lacrosse? I was good. Now okay. I'm not. <laughs> now I'm not very good. Okay. Um, no, I played lacrosse at University of Delaware, and then graduated from there, and I played in the pro league for uh, about six years, and then I played for the U.S. national team in 2010. Okay. Yep. Do you miss so, it at all? I miss it. I miss it a lot, but I, mainly I just miss the guys. I miss my teammates. I miss my coaches. Uh, that that camaraderie that you have, uh, that team-oriented feeling um, to go out there and, and all work together to, to win, um, you know, that's something I miss very much. And now it's kind of like in the restaurants, that's what you have. You have your team and you go out there every night and you try and win, uh, you know, and do the best you can for the guests and, and for the experience. And so they're very much the same, just, just very different. And... Um, now I'm obviously not in nearly as good a shape as I used to be. <laughs> it happened, it happens. No, I uh, went to Q, so I don't know if you knew that. Great school. So it was interesting. Great lacrosse school. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. We, so I remember Mikey Powell sitting on my couch yeah. playing Sega Dreamcast. That's how old school. Like, he was literally yeah. sitting on, and I remember all the lacrosse guys, great guys, really cool. I played with Casey and Ryan. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. I, I so. played with Casey in Rochester for two years uh, on the, for the pro team up there, and then I played with Ryan on Team USA. Yeah, so Ryan – if I remember correctly, it was my, I was like in high school still, sneaking into college parties. And he was like, hey, come on in. Let's have a good time. Nice to meet you. It was so nice and pleasant. All the brothers were. And they just Their were first very, class. Yeah, very nice guys. Really stand-up guys. Yeah, so great, I, great people. I love it. I, I do. I miss the lacrosse guys. They were really good guys yeah. to get to hang out around with. So after college, you do, you do, you do the lacrosse thing. But did you enter food business? Did you, like, what made you, what was that pivot where you're like, I wanted to start some like my own hospitality. Like, where did that pivot come yeah, from? Yeah, so we were just developing Harbor East when I graduated college, um, and I knew I was going to move back to Baltimore after college and started wanted to be around my grandfather and learn about development, learn about real estate. And and at that time, he was developing Parcel B, which is, um, as you know, would be the where the uh, landmark theater is to our house is in that area there. And they, they were looking and searching for uh, somebody to come in as an ice cream tenant to to sell ice cream. 
And I said, well, what do I know about ice cream? But I said, there's got to be a good opportunity. It's right on the corner. It's next to the theater. Let me see if I can't go and make that happen. So I went to Minneapolis. I flew to Minneapolis. I was 20 years old and met with the people at haagen And they're like, well, we've never done a franchise with a 20-year-old before. Mm. Um, and to this day, I'm still a haagen franchisee. And that was my first business. Uh, got it open, and I went right from school. I played in the Final Four against Hopkins uh, lacrosse. Uh, and a week later, I was scooping ice cream in haagen So it was that quick of a transition. Uh, but I'll tell you this: it was the the franchise model is unbelievable. If you're if you're a young entrepreneur, you want to start your own business, uh, and you want to learn how to do you know manage your own small business, manage people, do your own bookkeeping, um, and run a small shop. I, I highly recommend the franchise model uh, if it's the right franchise. But I highly recommend the franchise model because I learned a lot. Learned a lot. Would you say entrepreneur, being an entrepreneur was that something that you grew up around? Was that something where family you saw? family members be entrepreneurs? Did you, was that something like that you, that was ingrained in you already? Yeah, I mean, I was, the way we were raised is we did a lot of different jobs when we were kids. Um, and my grandfather was involved in, and dad, in very many different businesses. Um, and I was just always a really hard worker. So whatever I did, I just knew I was going to grind it out and make it happen. And that was whether I was in the restaurant business or real estate or um, you know, working on a farm and all the other things that I, I did as a kid, I just think back to that. But um, I, I enjoy working. I enjoy uh, watching something uh, in a starting process, middle of the process, and get to the end line and then look back and say, okay, we made a difference there and, and I accomplished something. The sense of accomplishment when you finish a task, I, I just always have enjoyed that. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm a serial entrepreneur, but I, I would say I'm a serial worker too. I like that. Folks, we'll be right back with these quick messages. We're going to talk about the restaurants in Baltimore, how, how this all came about. They're expanding all over uh, to Texas, Florida, and going to D.C. and maybe P.A., Philly. We'll talk a little bit about that and talk about where do you see this company going forward and, you know, how many people they employ in the city. Really, what happened during the pandemic? We'll talk a little bit about all this when we come right back with these messages. The No Picks After Dark podcast is proudly partnered with Maggie's Farm. Located at 4341 Hartford Road, Maggie's Farm offers a unique dining experience with delicious handcrafted cocktails and mouth-watering cuisine from falafels to scallops and everyone's favorites, honey sriracha cauliflower wings. Open for dinner from 4 p.m. until 10 p.m., Tuesday through Saturday, and for brunch, Saturday from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m., and Sunday from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., Delectable chicken and waffles, shrimp and grits, biscuits and gravy, and more. Check out Maggie's Farm on Instagram and Facebook for daily and weekly food specials. When you give to United Way, your gift could be the first spark of something bigger. It can help someone find, interview for, and get hired for a job and provide follow-up services for success. It can break down educational barriers and give that extra help to a struggling student with in-school support programs. Give today. Spark something bigger. No Picks After Dark is sponsored by Snug Books, an independent bookstore serving Northeast Baltimore and beyond. In addition to featuring new books for all ages, the store also carries cards, stationery, gifts, games, and more. Visit snugbooks.com to shop online, learn more about the store, read our latest newsletter, and find a calendar of events. 
or come browse the store in person. Snug Books is located at 4717 Harford Road, next to Zeke's Coffee in Hamilton, Laurelville. There is free parking behind the store and open hours are Tuesday through Sunday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. All right, folks, we are back with CEO Alex Smith of Atlas Restaurant Group. How are you doing? Good, Aaron. You're sweating. You, you had me sweating a little bit. Oh, I'm back. doing good. Good. That's cool, man. I appreciate yeah. your time, though. Oh, and we're it's, it's we're at the beautiful Bygone. Beautiful restaurant. Oh, Rooftop man. of the Four Seasons. 360 view right now, folks, of Baltimore City. I'm going to tell you, I'm ready to have a snack after this, but it's not open yet. But thank you guys for having us here. It's our pleasure. Appreciate it. Yeah. So you talked about Haagen-Dazs. You talked about the ice cream. Yeah. How do we translate that to what we're doing now of sure. all the restaurants? How many restaurants do you have in the Atlas Restaurant Group right now? To speak? We have, well, we have 22 in Maryland, and then we have three in Texas. We have one in South Florida, um, and then we're about to open two in D.C. So uh, we're somewhere around 26 or 27 restaurants. Okay. Yeah. And that's that's a lot. It's a lot of restaurants. That's a lot of restaurants. That's a lot. A lot, of lot. I mean, I mean. A lot of restaurants, a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. So how did we get here? Let's walk us through here. Like, walk, sure. walk us through the story of, like, Hagen Dodge to now. How did we yeah. get there? Tell us a little so, bit. So um, there was, um, when, when we were, when Harbury's was being developed, there was no lunch spot down here. Like, right. these are the days before, you know, Sweet Green. This yeah. is the days before uh, Nando's mm -hmm. and various other places. And um, so, you know, I was like, there's no good New York-style deli around here. Um, and actually, it started with a burger franchise. I, I got involved in a burger franchise, which I ended up transitioning to a deli. Um, and I opened up Harbor East Deli. And mm -hmm. so Harbor East Deli has been open since 2009. I opened the Hagen Dazs in 07. And I opened up uh, the deli in 2009. Um, and the deli's just done great. It's like a mini diner, you know, sandwiches, um, pizza, cheesesteaks, salads, the whole nine yards. But that was my second business. And so basically, what I tried to do is. I was looking at what are voids in not only the neighborhood, but the city, and how do I create businesses that are going to help drive traffic to Baltimore and drive traffic to the neighborhood and provide a service for, for the neighborhood and for the city. And so it was pretty self-explanatory. With all the employees down here at Delhi, just made sense. And from day one, it did great. Um, after that, there was a, they, they, in the, next to Charleston there, there was a restaurant space that sat vacant for many, many years. Nobody had ever gone in there. It was actually office space that they wanted to make restaurant space. That's where Uzo Bay is now. Okay. Um, and of course, I'm, I'm, I've got Greek heritage. My grandfather is Greek. Uh, my grandmother's Greek. And so I wanted to open up an upscale Greek restaurant. And what's interesting is, is that in Baltimore, any, all anybody knew is like Samos, great. which by the way is great. I love those guys. They do a great job. Um, but it's 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 a different style of Greek than what we do. Uh, we're we're more like uh, Milos and Kalari and some of these upscales, Estiatorios, which is what they call like a upscale Greek fish concept. Um, and so I went to New York, I went to Greece, I went all over, I went to Chicago, um, and looked at all these different Greek concepts, and then created our own, which is Uzo Bay here for Baltimore. Um, and it was a hit. I mean, you had people coming down from the county, you had people in the city uh, enjoying it, and it just became this really popular restaurant. Um, and so that, that took me basically from one to three, and that was from 2007 to, I would say, 2012. Um, and then 2014, I think, was the next one. That was Izumi. And what happened there is, is Michael Mina was uh, operating the restaurants in the hotel, and the restaurants were not doing well at all. And he made the decision to vacate 
uh, with Four Seasons. And I think Mina failed because he was a guy that was, um, he understood how to run restaurants and tourist markets. He's in Miami, he's in Las Vegas. And I think what he failed to realize is, is that Baltimore is a locally driven market. If you don't have the local clientele coming to your restaurants in Baltimore, you can't make it. You have to have the people of Baltimore and the surrounding counties coming to your restaurant to make it. And so he, he vacated, um, but there was so much, there was so many great things about that restaurant that I didn't want to have to change. Like they had a beautiful sushi bar already. So I was like, all right, how can I remodel this and create my own Japanese concept? And that's what we did and we created Izumi. Um, and then soon after that, he had already left the coffee shop. We ended up doing a lock bar where Lamilla is. So we've, we've done a great job of finding opportunities in the marketplace. Um, and we felt that Japanese needed to be in the marketplace. I mean, other than raw sushi and a few other smaller places, there's not a lot of plethora of Japanese restaurants in the marketplace. Um, lock bar, we, we were kind of forced into an oyster bar. And the reason is because the space is so small, there was really not much we could do there from a fine dining restaurant. And we knew the raw bar had to be a big component of that to be able to execute it properly. So Azumi and Lockbar came about, and all of a sudden now we went from you know a smaller group, and now we had you know two more restaurants, um, and then right about the same time, um, you know my cousin had opened and my uncle had opened Fleet Street Kitchen and 1010 and Bagby Pizza. I had nothing to do with those businesses, um, and they were struggling over there, uh, not doing well, and. I got a call from him one day and he said, hey, look, I've decided to close these places um, and they're gonna market them for lease. Do you wanna lease them? And I was like, I'll talk to the landlord and see what I can do. And so I, I went over there and we don't own that property. We're not, that's a workshop development. Um, and we made a deal and we ended up leasing those places and creating Atlas Quarter there, which we uh, is now Tagliata, the Elk Room, uh, Italian Disco, Monarch. You have the four restaurants operating there. and. And so really what we did was is we found second generation stores where we didn't have to invest a ton of capital uh, to expand our footprint in Baltimore um, and then also create really new and unique concepts to the area. Um, and, and then by 2017, 2018, we had eight or nine restaurants in the area. Um, and then I started getting involved in the historic markets. Um, you know, a friend of mine, Calliope Parthamos and, and, and Colin Talbert, who's head of the BDC, mm -hmm. um, you know, I wanted to revitalize these these historic markets because they'd sat vacant for years and years and years. I mean, Broadway Market was vacant for the North Market, what, 15 years, I think. Mm -hmm. And so we came in and we just decided to take, we had an interest in developing these old historic markets and 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 that's, and so on and so forth. And it's just, then it, it, it's, it's, an, it's a, almost an addiction because when you open these places, you're creating such unique space for people to come and enjoy themselves, um, and you're putting out a, an incredible product. And when people are receptive to that, and they go out and they enjoy it, and you can come into work every night and watch a smile on somebody's face, or watch somebody when they walk into Chop Tank for the first time, which used to be a parking lot, mm -hmm. and they see how it's been repurposed, it's, it's the greatest feeling in the world. Um, and so we've just continued to grow. It's interesting because I remember, by you tell them all these stories, I'm thinking about my time. Um, I used to work for his Fortune 500 company, not going to name them, but I opened up all their stores in Maryland and Virginia. And that was the thing. It was like training, I came in, training development, training the staff, got everybody up to incredible customer service, open it up, boom. I lived in Baltimore, 
but I had lived in a road for two and a half years. Yeah. And just that addiction. It is like. It is. And to see opening day when people came into the store, they were like, oh, my God, I can't believe. Like, this is amazing. And yeah. I do miss the people of the aspect of the business. I miss working with people. I miss the smiles. I miss the customer's smile, the training. Like, oh, I didn't know this. And things of that nature. So going through that. Did, did you ever get nervous opening so many restaurants in a small vicinity where they might be cannibalizing each other because yeah. I know they're different, but they might be competing with each other. Did you ever so, think about like that? Absolutely. And that's something my brother and I, my business partner, Eric, we talk about all the time is when are we going to cannibalize ourselves? And you know, what's interesting is every store we've ever opened has continued to grow year over year. Okay. And I think the reason is, is we've created a regional tourist destination, which is Atlas restaurant group. Mm -hmm. Um, and I got to check the numbers, but I'm sure I'm pretty sure we're going to serve in Baltimore alone between two and a half and three million people this year. Wow. And so when you look at how many people are coming through our restaurants in the city and the surrounding counties, it's more than anybody that goes to M&T Bank Stadium or wow. Camden Yards or the National Aquarium. That's how many people are coming to the city to experience what we're putting out, which is great product, live entertainment, hospitality. So we've now become this driver for the city in ways that we never even imagined. And they're coming down now and they're hopping from restaurant to restaurant and they're getting all these different experiences that they can't get in other surrounding counties. And so we feel like we're, we're, we're bringing people back to the city, which is always the goal. Um, so, yeah, you, you're always going to cannibalize yourself. But as long as collectively we're bringing people back to the city and we keep the ball moving, we continue to grow. And it's been a good thing. So what do you think when, like, some people might say, oh, you got so many restaurants, like, you're opening so many of them, like... Like, how can you keep that pace up? I mean, what do you, yeah. like, do you think you can? Or, I mean, because right now you have um, a couple in the county, correct? Yeah. And then you open a couple over in Federal Hill, right? Fe we have, uh, we have uh, Watershed and we have the Atlas Fish Market in okay. Federal Hill. Yeah. And, and, I, and I saw you guys at the farmer's market there too? Yeah, we're doing, we, yeah. we have a farm and we're doing, well, we've, we've had a farm and we do some produce there, yeah. Yeah, I saw that, so I was yeah. doing my homework. I was like, oh, okay. So you guys are in a lot of different things. We are. How do you main like I, I know you have to have a good team around you. It's you have all to. it's all about team because you can't touch everything. No question. How do you maintain that? And how do you put the right people in place to make sure that this business runs smoothly? It's a great question. Um, you know, I've got um, two great partners that run Atlas Quarter okay. from the front of house and back back of house perspective. David and Julian, they're my partners in the business. They run Atlas Quarter. They're partners with uh, Marmo in Houston, Texas. Um, and, you know, Brian McCormick, who's our CEO, he's my right hand. He's partners in various businesses with us. But this is a guy who started as a general manager with us at Uzo Bay. Now he's partners with me on half a dozen restaurants and running our entire company. So what we've done a great job of is identifying great people. And over the last 10, 12 years, we've given these people opportunities to grow within our organization. And you can't grow without great people. And we're really lucky to have a great team. Yeah, we were talking a little bit off offline like one of the people that I follow over, and he's probably embarrassed when I shout him out as well. Yeah. Uh, I've known him from Uzo Bay, yeah. and that was my dude because he came over. I met him at Pazzo. Followed him over. I was like, we're going to That's where him. I met him too, by the way. <laughs> so, I met him at Pazzo and recruited him to come to Lockbar. So I see that's why it's yeah. hilarious. That is hilarious. I, he was just, he was the bartender. I was like, I got to go see him. Anywhere he goes in Baltimore, I will go see yeah. him. And just, I just found out like he's a manager here now, yep. running one of your successful businesses. Yeah, and I'm he's like, going to the next step with us. He'll, he'll eventually be a multi-unit operator yeah. and 
he'll be involved in a bunch of different things. I love hearing that. And yeah. that, that's what it's all about. And what have you, I guess, learned, like what trials and tribulations have you seen that you've gone through that you've like learned and you've like adjusted to that? Anything that? Yeah, I mean, look, this is not an easy business. And, you know, there's gonna be things that happen. And I'll just give you a, for an example. If we put two and a half million people through our restaurants this year, one of them is gonna have a bad experience, a real bad experience. Right. And it's about how do you recover from that experience? How do you do a better job training? How do you recover that guest if they can be recovered? How do you try and get them back into another property or the same property to show them that you can have a great experience? You know, the, the most frustrating part about this business is, is that anytime you scale any business, obviously you have to accept a certain level of mediocrity. Right. And in this business, it's tough to accept anything mediocre because you always want to put your best foot forward. I know that nobody will ever run a restaurant as if I was there running it myself every day. You can't be 26 places at once. And so the frustrating part about scaling our business is um, how do you make sure that everybody, all those millions of people that come through your stores every year, continue to get a great positive customer experience? That's, and that's the hardest part. Yeah, I know that you guys do extensive training for your staff. You know, I know Absolutely. you guys. Uh, I know I've worked with uh, had Al, Al Hutchinson, CEO yeah. of, of Visit Baltimore. You guys are one of the leaders in the diversity initiative training yeah. and whatnot. So I know that those things are there, and I don't think a lot of people know that. Yeah, we sponsor DEI training for, for the city of Baltimore, and this is something, DEI training is something we've done for years. Right. But the problem is, is that when you have 13, 1,400 employees and you're doing summer hiring, right? Let's say you bring on 50 new employees in May for the summer season. Not all, all the time are all those people caught up and at the same speed as everybody else that's been in your organization. Mm -hmm. And so now you're putting people on the floor to interface with customers that obviously during everybody knows, and I'm sure you've talked to people and during your podcast about all the labor shortages going right. on and everything else. So it becomes a constant battle to make sure that these people are provided with the right training they're caught up to speed and they understand the standards and the, uh, and the value system in the organization. Um, and that, that comes down to the managers and the team members to make sure we continue to drive that home. But like, like I said, the difficult part is with so many people being hired constantly and, and new properties coming, you always have to retrench and continue to train. Yeah, I remember, again, uh, we'll talk offline with a company I worked with before, but that was the main thing. Same thing like you, training development, training development. Yep. I mean, I remember before you even hit the sales floor, whatever, it was like you had to do an incredible customer service training. You had you yep. know, diversity and awareness training. Yep. And that was off the top before you even got out there because we wanted to make sure you understood the values of what Absolutely. we did. And, and I'm sure, again, those things, restaurant business may be a little bit harder because yeah. you got to be that turnaround. As soon as you hire that person, they're already in the books, ready to rock and roll. So It's correct. I mean, it's, a sh it's look, we train, every everybody hits, you know, orientation. They hit a hand handbook. They hit their DEI stuff before they even get on the floor here. But... I will tell you that you also don't know who these people are. And you can provide all the training in the world, but until you see somebody in action, dealing with the customers, talking with the guests, interacting with the guests, it's, it's tough to understand who you're working with. And so there's a, a level of time that it takes to keep people, get people up to speed and also to make the managers aware of the people that they're dealing with. Got you. So the big thing I was want to ask you is pandemic hit. <laughs> Tough times. Tough times. I, I, you have, yeah. at that point, I mean, I don't. We had about 1,000 I mean, people at that time. Okay, yeah, 1,000. Nationwide. Employees. Yeah. What do you do? Like, I mean, how yeah. do you even pivot? Like, I mean, you can't, 
have the DJ playing. You can't have the no. listen glamour. Yeah. It's like meat and potatoes right now. People so, aren't spending like they used to. Well, we went from doing uh, so many dollars a week to zero. Right. Essentially overnight. And it becomes a pretty simple equation because, you know, if we were to pay all of our hourly employees uh, essentially what they were making, we would be bankrupt or out of business within a month, right. like permanently, and not able to reopen. And so I made the decision right away. I mean, I knew it was coming, and I looked at it. Uh, I had talked to somebody in the governor's office, and I knew that, that there was going to be a shutdown coming. And that was starting all across the country, so you could kind of see it happening. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, we're going to get shut down. I was like, okay. So we huddled with the HR. We're like, we got to lay off our hourly people. Let's figure out a way to send them emails, get on virtual, and figure out a way to get these hourly employees in the, in the unemployment queue. Because we knew if we could get them in the unemployment queue right away, that they, mm. they would be taken care of throughout the pandemic. So before anybody else had fired anybody, we had taken, we had let go of all, well, we had furloughed all of our hourly employees, and we had, were working with them with HR to get them in the queue. Mm. Then we set up all the management staff. What we did is we paid them half their salaries, and we carried them through the pandemic, and then we worked with the management staff to help uh, coordinate food giveaways during the pandemic for our hourly employees so we can make sure that, that, that there was, you know, they were getting food and toiletries and things of that nature. And so we, we reacted quickly, um, but it was a horrible situation. I mean, for me as a business owner, and this is before any government money had come in, you know, I owed a few million dollars just in like to distributors, to payroll, to this, to that, and you have no money coming in. And so it's like, you know, you just, you do what you can. Did you ever find a point that you sat by yourself and was like, this could all come crashing to an end right now? Like, did you ever have a moment where you were, where mentally you were like, I don't know, I, I, I don't know where this is going to happen? Yeah, right my now. brother and I were super depressed. We actually, we, we have a farm down the Eastern Shore and we have a small farmhouse and we went and we locked ourselves in the farmhouse. Right. We were there about a week before we even came out. Wow. And we just said, look, we watched, I'm sure as everybody did, the teleconferences every day oh, with yeah. all the uh, Fauci yeah. and all this stuff. Yeah. And we just said, hey, look, let's just figure it out. Let's just one day at a time, one day at a time. And it was it was not easy. But we got through it. And, um, you know, I think we did the right thing by keeping a lot of our management on because they all came back. Um, and then the other thing is, is that as soon as we could get the, the engine running, we, we had the engine running. Mm -hmm. So the day we were allowed to operate, we were back in operation. We felt that was really important because we knew people need to get back to work. Wow. So, like, what did you learn from that whole experience, just going through that whole process of just the pandemic? We're finally at the endemic. I don't know where we are at this point. Yeah. I, I just live at this point. But what did you learn most about yourself? Like, what did you learn? Because everybody, yeah, everybody, everybody had a moment of clarity during that time. Like, you know, I told people, if you're an entrepreneur right now, this is the best time to learn and figure things out because yeah. you have time. My podcast exploded during that yeah. time because people had time to sit down and they had nowhere to go. What did you learn about yourself looking back at that time period? I learned I'm fortunate. I feel like I'm very fortunate because it could have been worse. Um, you know, imagine that COVID, you know, the death rate of COVID wasn't one-tenth of one percent. Let's say it was a couple percent. Mm -hmm. How do you get back to normal from that? And where would we be as a country? And, and so I feel, I know a lot of people lost their lives and it was a terrible thing. But I feel like it could have gone way worse because it was, this was something that was killing 10 times the amount of people. I don't know where you, where you go from here. That's a scary thing. So I feel like I was fortunate, but I, I'm a relentless guy. I never give up. 
and um, you know, I knew that I was going to get through it, and I just kept grinding. And I feel like that the businesses that were run right and run properly before the pandemic came out of it stronger. And the businesses, especially in the restaurant business, that weren't doing well before the pandemic, that weren't really running their business right, they disappeared. Um, and so all, all the guys I know in the area that are great operators all came out of it stronger. Mm. And so, you know, I, I think there's there was some separation in the pack, and that was just part of the deal. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of restaurants that are still going strong as we speak yeah. right now. And I agree. I tell people, if you can get through the pandemic, you can do anything. You can do anything out here. You could, I, I agree. There's nothing out here that you cannot do at all. Um, just so, you know, I don't want to hold you up. I know we've talked yeah. a lot. We've yeah. covered so many great things. So you just opened up a new spot in, in Annapolis, Chop Tank, correct? We did, yeah. How Chop. did that go? Oh, man, it's unbelievable. Okay. We're doing great there. Yeah. And D.C., can we talk about that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, sure. D.C., we're opening in November. We're opening um, like an oyster bar, very similar to Lock Bar, called Parlor Victoria. It's on the corner of K and 11th attached to the Moxie Hotel in an old historic Victorian building. It's beautiful. Um, and then we're doing a rooftop restaurant there, um, which is going to be, <coughs> excuse me, um, it's going to be a Mexican restaurant. Okay. Um, and it's it's going to be beautiful and very cool and nice rooftop restaurant in D.C. Um, so we're excited. We'll have two, two restaurants open in D.C. Uh, the, the first will open in November, the second in probably January. Great, great. And where did you get your slogan from? I always wanted to know. Where did you get the slogan, the city needs it? city needs it. Yeah, where did so, that slogan come from? So it's funny. Curious. I actually uh, I stole it from a couple of my chefs. At Uzo Bay, there was a couple chefs, and one of them, Scott Esselrode, he's still with me. And when we used to bring all this specialty product in, whether it was Turbo or Dover Sole or all these like unique-looking fish, the guys in the back in the kitchen, when they used to get it, they used to be like, city needs it, and it just like caught on. Right. And then managers started saying it, then other chefs started saying it. And then Joe and I were like, we should just make that our tagline. And so we just started saying it. But basically what it has to do with is we're, 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 creating, we're coming up with all this unbelievable product, whether it's we're, we're flying bluefin tuna in for mm. Izumi, whether it's just the oyster program at Lock Bar, or the, the, some of these, you know, Wagyu that we have, Mizaki at, um, at Monarch, but we're, we're all these specialty products that you can't get anywhere else. And so City needs it. What would you say, like, you got all these people listening watching on YouTube, what do you want them to take away from this interview with me? What do you want them to walk away with? Um, come support us. We're great for the city. Uh, we hire a lot of people. We're putting out a, an unbelievable product. We're investing in local entertainment. Um, we're doing something that nobody in the city is doing, and I think we're unique. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to change the tide and the, and the idea of what Baltimore is. And this is Forget the national stuff. National stuff's very important to me. And, but this city, what it needs is hope. And it needs just a little bit of life pushed into it. And if you come out to our places on Friday and Saturday night or Wednesday night or whenever it is, you're going to get an experience here that you can't get anywhere else in Baltimore. And we want people to come in and, and have that experience. We want people to, in the city to come and enjoy that experience, talk about it. But we can change the narrative of Baltimore and the idea of what this city is about. Um, and that's what we're doing and that's what we're investing in. What if somebody's listening and watching right now, they've never been here. They've never been here, they've never yeah. had any food, you've never tried any of the product. What restaurant would you recommend them to go to? I know you got several. Oh, but when, for, for me, uh, and I'm not You're putting asking you me to pick one of my children. Uh, you, you know, so for me, I would say Uzo Bay. That's, that's my grilled calamari spot. I can't yeah, go wrong. I, mean, I can't I go wrong with Uzo that. Uzo was my first restaurant. I love Uzo. Right. So, But, you know, look, I've, 
I could, I mean, I could go through each one and tell you what's special about each one, but I would tell you that, you know, uh, don't make me do that. No, you don't have to. No, you don't have to. You don't have to. Well, give it, give it. All right, give it. All right, how about, if, okay, a name off bygone. What is the first thing that comes to your mind? Uh, the view. Okay. And, and not to take away from uh, the food or the beverage program here or the entertainment or anything else, but there is no view like this in the city when you come to this rooftop and you get off the elevator and you can literally see all downtown. You can get a great view of Port Covington, the Key Bridge, Fort McHenry. You see it all. I mean, it's just incredible. Watershed. Watershed, um, Ravens games, rooftop, I mean, historic market. Um, you know, I, I just, I love Watershed's rooftop. Azumi. Azumi, sushi, easy. Uzo Beach. Uzo Beach, look, Mediterranean vibe, little DJ, you know, have a glass of rosé. Uh, I, I put in that bluestone patio with the wide grout in there, so you feel like you're you're in Greece. Okay, I just named a couple. Yeah. I didn't want to name all. Yeah, no, you're good. But I would name a couple, but... I do a little thing called speed round then. I'd ask everybody Shoot. these questions and it's always fun. Get a little, learn a little bit. So we're gonna start with chicken wings, okay? Yeah. Flats or drums? Ooh, flats. Blue cheese or ranch? Ranch. Ranch, not blue cheese? Love ranch. Oh, come on, ranch, come on, blue cheese. I'm not against blue, crumble blue I'm cheese. I'm not against blue cheese, Okay. but I'm a ranch guy. Okay, all right, all right. Crabs or crab cakes? Crabs. Good, all right, I like that. Snowballs or ice cream? Come on, you, uh, that's a hard one. That's a tough one right there. Egg custard snowball. Snowballs. Snowballs. Summer or winter? Summer. Okay. And what is the best advice you've ever received? Uh, the best advice I've ever received, I would say the tr most true advice I've ever received, is relentless hard work's work beats all. It's not about the degree. It's not about your education. If you're willing to roll up your sleeves and do the work, you can be great at anything. Mr. Alex Smith, I thank you for coming on No Pixar Dark Podcast. Where Thank can you. we find you guys? I know you probably don't have all the tags, but where can they go on social media to find out the restaurants, what nights are open? Is it, is it the sure. Atlas Restaurant Instagram, group? Facebook, oh. any one of our individual restaurants you can look at, Google. We're, now, I'm gonna, you're, gonna, you're probably going to laugh, shoot. but I'm going to ask you this. Are you on TikTok yet? I'm not on TikTok. Does that mean I'm old? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Come on. You're, you're, I mean, you're not on TikTok. I'm not I mean, on TikTok. I don't have a I, TikTok. You know, I was... We used to, the other day, they were talking about how now people, younger generations, they don't go on Google. They go on TikTok and f f find things out. You can search on TikTok? Yeah. How do, you, how do you cook food? How do you cook this? It's all on TikTok. Really? It's, it's, a, it's a weird thing. I'm going to stay away people, from that. I, I'm going to stick to Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. I learned TikTok during the, during the, during the pandemic. Because a lot of days really? at home, like, <laughs> what, what am I going to do? Oh, my gosh. So, but I try not to too much. But Yeah, no, I'm not on TikTok. But, again, thank you for your my time. Pleasure, thank Aaron. you for the staff. Bye, and God. thank you for coming and doing this. Appreciate it. Hey, I appreciate Joe, the gatekeeper yeah, over there. What's up, brother? I see you it. over there. <laughs> thank you so much. But thank you for doing this. Hopefully, you can do this again. Um, we, we talked offline, and hopefully, we can do something with the other spots opening up and just keep the communication um i really think this is a really good spot for people to come yeah and tour in town when they come in town when i and you know thank you so much for your time hey thanks for your time man love peace throughout baltimore fiscal partners is a boutique cpa firm specializing in accounting and consulting services for nonprofits, small businesses and with experience running nonprofits and small businesses they know that there's not always enough time at the end of the day for you to focus on your finances, whether it's monthly bookkeeping or an annual audit, tax preparation or consulting, nonprofit or small business, 
Baltimore Fiscal Partners provides full range or tailored solutions that keep your goals and budget in mind. Learn more about Baltimore Fiscal Partners online at BaltimoreFiscal.com or follow them at Baltimore Fiscal on Facebook and Instagram.